All right, we're going to be going back into the Gospel of John today. Uh, John chapter 10 is our, our main text. Um, but I want to do something uh, before that. Uh, we're going to flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to read this passage and then we're going to pray. I'm going to start in verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing um, the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the, the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to, to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews, a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because, of the, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your holy written word, Lord. You know, some of these things, Lord, we, we take so much importance in them. And Lord, we, we know that you have a great and mighty plan in place, Lord. You are making all things new. You have this giant plan of salvation, of redeeming a people for your possession, God. And Lord, we're honored to be on that mission, Lord. God, I do pray that during this time, Lord, we would be bold in the cross. Lord, that we would learn to be, to be confident in the thing that the world says is foolish and stupid and um, out of date. Lord, you know what they say about the gospel. You know that people reject it. You know that people blaspheme you. You know that people would spit in your face again if you were here today. But Lord, to us, this message as you're revealing it to our hearts, is the most important thing. Lord, and you love the people who find your message foolish, and you want us to reach out to them. Help us learn how we can be on this mission in a, in a better way than we have been. Help us learn how to, how to share your love in an even greater way. So, Lord, as we do read John 10, Lord, I pray that we would learn the many, many lessons that are here. But, Lord, not just with our minds, that it would strike our hearts in a way that brings about change in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be continuing in John chapter 10, as I said. Um, if you guys want to jump over there. They, uh, I, don't, I normally read off my iPad, but I bought a new Bible at the uh, pastor's conference. They straight up had a Bible salesman. Like, come on. He, like, talked about the sleekness. And, like, it was, like, it was awesome. I, like, I was at first kind of laughing that there was a Bible salesman. 
But then I was like, oh, I'm going to buy one of those. <laughs> so I did. Uh, and I'm excited about my new Bible. They outsourced the font uh, design to a group in Denmark who are the best in the world. Little fun fact. So I've got the greatest font. <laughs> I thought you guys would enjoy that. I did. Uh, so what language do they speak in Denmark? Danish? It's, at least the Bible's not in Danish. It's just a Danish font, okay? So we're going to read here. Uh, chapter 10, verse 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice, yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. So Jesus is going to really open up this discourse with some of these people here about the shepherd. And he starts off talking here about how there is um, this sheepfold of, of the sheep. And I, I titled my sermon this week, The Sheeple, right? And that's normally like an insult for people who follow someone blindly, right? Um, but however, Jesus is abundantly clear that we are sheep and he is the shepherd. And more than that, in this passage, he says that he is the door by which you can get in. Then he also tells us that there's a thief, and this thief um, is there to, well, steal people, right? And the sheep shouldn't be able, they don't recognize the, the thief, they don't, they don't know him, they don't follow him, but it's the shepherd that they recognize. It's his voice that they hear and they follow. But they don't know what he's talking about here. So they're like, okay, Jesus. And I wonder if Jesus was like, hanging out with these people, they're talking, and then he's like, hey, you see these sheep over here? Like, they see the sheep pen? Let's talk about that for a while. So they're trying to, like, get all, how are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Like, they're trying to get him, and he's like, let's talk about sheep. And they're confused. They're like, why are you talking about sheep? And, like, somebody who's trying to steal some sheep, and what is going on? So Jesus is going to clarify some of this here. Verse 7, then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So Jesus is clarifying some things here. He's like, hey, I am the door. So Jesus is both the shepherd and the door, and that there's false prophets and so forth coming before Jesus who were also thieves. They, were not, they did not have the best intention for the sheep. But now Jesus says, hey, I am the door. I am the way into the sheepfold. So for us, we would understand this as that God is bringing in his people as we are sheep, as we are Christians, we are part of God's flock, we are part of the sheepfold, and it is only through Jesus that we get in, right? And there might be other people who suggest other ways, but those are thieves. 
They're trying to steal. They're trying to kill. They're trying to destroy. And we know ultimately that this is a representation fully of Satan, who is there to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus is the true shepherd. He is the door. He is the only way to become a sheeple. (laughs) I like it. It's funny. Uh, but listen to this. We have one side here who is there to what? Kill, steal, steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus is here as the door, as the shepherd, to give life and life abundantly. Who's excited about life abundantly? How many of you have experienced life abundantly in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Show of hands. Yeah? That's the goal. Like, we should be experiencing life abundantly. That's what Jesus wants for you. You know what the thief wants for you? He wants to steal you, then kill you, destroy you. We serve a great and mighty Jesus who wants to give us life abundantly. I love that. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, listen to this, gives his life for the sheep. Let's stop there, verse 11. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. What is Jesus talking about? Do you know any shepherds? Any, does anybody hang out with shepherds? Or are we like in a part of the country where that's not a thing? <laughs> right? I, like, I've met one shepherd in my life. Uh, and it was in Australia. And uh, like they were Christians, but like uh, the S word for like poop, you know? I'm not going to say it. But uh, they had no problem saying that. And it was, I just remember this moment. I was like 11 years old in Australia. And it's this Christian family. And they're like, we're walking through their farm. And they just keep saying, hey, watch out for the... <laughs> and I was just like, that's a bad word. You're Christians. What are you saying? Uh, okay. That's my memory of shepherds. So I've known a shepherd or two, right, in my day, and I don't think that any of them would lay their life down for a sheep, for for some little lamb. They wouldn't do that, right? It's just an animal. So when Jesus is saying some of these things, he's, he's making some pretty important statements about his role as the Son of God, as his role as the good shepherd. He's not an average shepherd. And, and, and it's important that we realize that in comparison to Jesus... The creator and sustainer of the universe, we are like sheep are to humans. Like, we look at a sheep and you're like, you're so stupid, worthless. Like, you're, like what do you do, sheep? Like, like a, a human compared to a, a sheep. That's like a fraction of what it is for a human compared to God. Yet Jesus is saying the shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. That's crazy. Let's go back to uh, 2 Corinthians. Or 1 Corinthians. Let's look at this passage again. Because you know what? Like, if you, if you don't believe the gospel, this sounds stupid. A shepherd laying his life down for stupid sheep. Look again. For the message of the cross is foolish. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is, but to us for, I can't speak today, But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And he continues there. He's talking about, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And I love this. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? 
And then you jump down here. For the Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Listen, he's saying, hey, they're looking for signs, and they're looking for wisdom, and we preach an opposite message. We preach a message that's against what they're looking for, which is that Jesus was crucified, that the shepherd laid his life down for the sheep. And then he says, for the Jews, it's a stumbling block. They didn't just believe that the Messiah dying was a stupid idea. They also believed that anybody who died on a cross was hated by God. They thought it was the worst way to die. And then if you were crucified, God must hate you. That you must have done something that God is now cursing you. So it's not just a regular death even to the Jews when they hear about the cross. It's important to realize that it's not just like, oh, he was, he was stabbed for you. He was lashed for you. No, like this is the worst, most awful way to die, especially for a Jew who believed it was a curse. So like, that's a stumbling block that you would even talk about the Messiah dying on a cross. Not just that the Messiah would die, but even the way he died was complete foolishness to them. And to the Greeks, what does he say? To the Greeks, it's foolishness. For the Jews, a stumbling block. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. That's powerful. So we look at this now in this context here. Paul understood that to his readers, that the people they were speaking to were having a hard time listening, were having a hard time understanding why they would believe such a stupid thing. But to those who are called, this is the most important message of all. Okay, let's go back to John. So he says he's the good shepherd and he lays his life down for the sheep. Then listen, verse 12. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay, my, I lay down my life for the sheep, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So he covers actually a whole number of things there. He talks about a wolf coming, so it's another form of the enemy coming to steal, kill, and destroy. Then he talks about a hireling, right? So that I believe that he's making a, a, a bit of a jab here at the Jewish leaders. That though they were entrusted to lead the people, they were not really qualified to do it because their heart um, was not quite there. Whereas Jesus would lay his life down for those he loved, he's saying, you're just a hireling. The first sign of an attack you're going to bail on these people. You don't actually care. You don't actually have any ability to save them. I am the good shepherd. 
I know you call yourselves the Jewish leaders, but I am the shepherd of the people. I love them. I'm willing to lay my life down for them. I will never leave them. Even if a wolf comes, even if the thief comes, I will never bail on my sheep. I don't think the Pharisees here, the Jewish leaders, could answer the same. Jesus makes that point. Then Jesus goes on here and he talks about verse 16. And the other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I will bring and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Think back to that passage we were just talking about in 1 Corinthians. He talks about the Jews and the Greeks. Well, that's another huge stumbling block for the Jews. Some of the Pharisees taught that God created the Gentiles as fuel for God's fire in hell. That's all the reason they existed, is kindling for the fire. That's what many of the Jewish leaders were teaching. That's certainly not in scripture, but it is what they were teaching. That they were just kindling for the fire of God. And now Jesus here is saying, I also have another flock, but I'm bringing both flocks together. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. And we see here in 1 Corinthians the fulfillment of that. The church is a mix of Jews, Greeks, Gentiles, barbarians. Like He's bringing them all together from all places of the earth to be one people, to be one sheeple where Jesus is the shepherd. I at least got smiles on that one. So, verse 17, Therefore my Father loves me, because I laid down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. So Jesus says that he is in unity with the Father on this plan, but it is his own choice and is of his own power to do so. It's an important distinction. Jesus wasn't forced into this. You think um, of Jesus' prayer to the Father the night before he died. He's, he's sweating blood, and he's even asking, Lord, if there's any other way, but your will be done. It was his choice and by his power that he laid his life down and rose again. Therefore, there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? My dad taught last week a great message on Jesus opening the eyes of this blind man. And of course, Jesus does the same thing for all of us spiritually, where we would once think that that is the stupidest message I've ever heard, that God became a man and like died and now I'm just supposed to believe that that'll get me to heaven, it sounds stupid. But when he opens up your eyes and you can see, it's actually the power of God for salvation. So some are starting to say, hey, like, this guy's demon-possessed. And they're like, wait, hold on. Like, demon-possessed people are helping people, really? Is a demon-possessed man going to open the eyes of the blind and, and, and do these sort of loving acts? So there was... Two sides, who were start, some were starting to believe Jesus, some were starting to just continue to refuse him even more. Verse 22, now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. 
Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are, you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, because you being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, it is, is it not written in your law? I said, You are God's. If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him who the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first, and there he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no signs, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true, and many believed in him there. Again, a lot of stuff to cover in that passage here. So they come to Jesus at Solomon's porch, and they're like, hey, are you the Messiah or not? Answer our question. And Jesus responds, I've been telling you over and over again. Like, what else do you need to know? I said, I'm the door. I said, I'm the sheep. I said, I'm the way. Like, over and over again, Jesus has been saying that he is this Messiah. More than that, he's the Son of God. More than that, he's God in, in, in the flesh. He says, I am the I am, the same title that God gives himself um, at the burning bush for Moses. I am the great I am, the God, the, the one who always is and always will be. Jesus has made it pretty clear here. And he's like, you, you're just not listening. Then he says this really amazing thing here about the sheep knowing his voice and him knowing them and that he will never lose any of the sheep. No one will be able to snatch them out of his hand. Then they want to stone him. Why? Because he's calling himself God and has continued to call himself God in the last several chapters multiple times. That's why they wanted to kill Jesus for blasphemy. And then he goes on again talking about different verbiage in the Old Testament for gods, um, little g gods. And he's like, hey, you didn't stone um, people during that time when they were called like gods since we're creating in the image of God, little g gods and stuff. And then at the end here, um, they want to seize him, but he goes to a different area. Again, pulls a Jesus ninja move, escapes, goes to a different area, and many more were believing him, this time not just because of the signs of Jesus or even the signs of John, but because of the word of John the baptizer who had been prophesying and preparing the way of Jesus. Okay, 
there's a lot in there. The one thing that I really want to focus on is here where Jesus is saying that the sheep know his voice. Do you know the voice of the shepherd? You know, we can debate all day long about the identity of Jesus. We can look at historical facts about Christ. We can look at secular writings that have the same accounts as the Gospels, confirming them. We can look at how just the vastness of documents about Christ. There's no other character, no other person who's ever been written about as much as Jesus. There were eyewitnesses um, to Jesus' death and resurrection who were willing to lay their own lives down for that message. They would not refuse Jesus. I mean, there's more and more evidence all the time if you're willing to look at it. But here's the thing. I really want to ask you, do you know his voice, though? You either know his voice or you don't know his voice. You're either a sheep or you're not. You're either God's elect or you're not. You're either a Christian or you're not. Do you know his voice? Are you sure? Because we should know his voice. The, the amazing thing about what Jesus tells us here is that we can have a closeness to him. He's this loving shepherd who laid his life down for us, and we can know him personally. We recognize his voice. We then also recognize who's not him. So how do we... Know the voice of God. How do we recognize the voice of God? Well, of course, it would be first and foremost the receiving of the gospel, right? That message not being foolishness to you, but being the power of salvation. Beyond that, we have the written word of God. Do you guys believe that this is the written word of God? You do? You know what I've been convicted about lately? Is I study it a lot, and then sometimes I don't, like I'm studying it as a textbook sometimes. You ever do that? You study it as a textbook, and then you just forget that these are the very words of God? Think about that. Every person I've ever known would love to hear the words of God. To know that God is speaking and alive and has a plan for their lives. I think everyone wants to know that. These are the words of God. Do you read it? How do you read it? You can be answering these questions in your own mind, but... Like how, how can we lose sight of the fact that we are holding the words of God in our hand and then get upset that we're not hearing his voice? Get upset that things aren't going the way we want. We're upset that he's not speaking to us. You know, that we're not getting the answers we want. Well, are you reading the word? How much? A verse a day? A couple verses a week? On Sunday when I force you to? <laughs> By putting it on the screen? It's the word of God. So Jesus, first and foremost, the gospel message, that's the recognizing of his voice as the shepherd. 
hearing the gospel message, saying that is the power for salvation and accepting it. Second, these are the words of God. I'm going to say it over and over again because like we say, oh Lord, bless your word and Lord, let us read your word today. And then we say those things so very much. But then if we go home and we don't treat this like the word of God, we treat it like a boring textbook. I just wonder, do you really believe it's the word of God then? Right? And we do struggle with that because like, there's certain passages that, yeah, are a little hard to wrestle with, like, you know, Leviticus or something. But if it's the word of God and you really focus in on it, that stuff starts to make a lot of sense. And he starts to speak to you through it. Okay, so the word of God, I'll, I could talk all day about that. But beyond that, there's a still small voice, the spirit of God that lives inside of you if you're a Christian, that starts to guide you. He says that he will write his law on your hearts. That's impressive. Like, do you realize that if you are one of the sheep of God, the Holy Spirit comes in and he writes his laws on your heart? Like, he's speaking what is good and bad to your heart every single day. Are you listening to that? Then there's a still small voice. I truly believe that you can maybe not audibly, but you will through prayer, through the reading of word, to talking to other believers, start to hear God's voice guiding your life if you're willing to listen, and if you have faith that he will. But I would say with the writing the law in our hearts and the still small voice of him guiding us or conversations you have with Christians that where maybe they speak something, you're like, oh, I think that might be for me. You would test all of that against the written word, right? You would test all of that against the written word. Is this the type of thing that God often says? Is this in line with, with what he's already said? At the conference I was at, there was a, they had like vendors, you know, uh, with like different um, programs and materials and things like that that you as a pastor could implement at your church if you wanted to. One of them uh, had this big banner and it said 42% of Christians cannot read the Bible. And I was like talking to her, and I was like, that is really weird phrasing, and I disagree. <laughs> I was like, there's 42% of people are not illiterate, <laughs> right? And she's like, no, that, she's like, and so she's like, you're, you're not understanding. I was like, well, okay, help me understand. I'm trying to understand. Because like the banner was, I think it was blunt in a way that would try to draw your attention, right? Uh, so we're talking, she gives me all the paperwork and stuff, and she said, 42% of Christians read the Bible and don't realize that God is talking to them. They don't know how to read the Bible. They can't read it and get anything out of it. Every time they read it, they go, I don't know what this is, and they have to have someone teach it to them. So it's really cannot understand the Bible. 42% out of it, they did a lot of surveys on it. And I do think that's the problem. When you're reading this book, you're not reading a textbook. When you're reading about David, you're not just reading about David. You know, when he's defeating a giant, like they're... God, if you're reading scripture with an open heart, an open mind, and in the spirit, God will start to show you things about your own life. All of a sudden, you'll be reading about David and go, wait a second, I think I'm David in this situation. Wait a second, when he said this, that was exactly something I was praying yesterday, and I think this might be the answer. God will start speaking to you through his word. But if we read it like a textbook, no, I mean, no wonder we don't read it as much, right? 
if we just study it like, oh man, this cool passage kind of correlates with that one. But no, it's Jesus through his word wants to guide your life. When you read these verses, it should start changing your heart. You should start realizing things about yourself. You should start realizing things about your everyday life. You should start realizing things about your biggest decisions in life and saying, wait a second, so-and-so was in a situation really similar to this, and then I read this other encouraging verse that guided me. Like, you guys, it's hard to explain until it starts happening for you, but God will start moving through your life and showing you where your life should go and how you should live it if you will listen to the word of God. God wants to speak to you. Don't you think that's amazing? I'm going to open it up to uh, a few questions right now about hearing the voice of God or thoughts that you guys have about that. Anybody? I'll call on people. Any questions? Thoughts? Yeah. So are we crazy? That's great, yeah. Um, I have known certain people who've said they've heard the voice of God audibly. I have never heard the voice of God audibly, okay? And I don't doubt the people that say they have, honestly, because uh, God speaks audibly a lot in the Bible. But I don't think he does often for people. So when we talk about a still, small voice, um, it's similar to your conscience or the voice within your, your mind, Right? But you'll see that it starts pointing things out really directed at your heart from the Word of God. I was, I was dealing with uh, some anxiety recently, some stress about things. And I was getting really upset and really frustrated. And I'm praying to God. And I'm like, God, I'm, I'm really frustrated about this. And I hear a voice in my head that's not my regular conscious voice, right? But saying, do you really think I'm that small? And it struck me to the heart. Immediately, God rebukes me in this moment. Why are you worrying? I'm God. You're coming to me with your worries and these fears. Do you think I'm that small? Do you not, you know, think that I have a plan for your life? So that's one way it may look. And another thing, recently for me, I was praying about some things, and a person comes up to me and shares a verse with me. And there's this something in your heart that when it's the voice of God, just receives it, right? That knows it's the word of God. Um, I went to a, uh, a group session this last week, and uh, one of the teachers afterwards, they're doing like an open time of prayer and prophecy and, and things like that. And the guy who was leading the group, he says, it's, here's, this is for somebody here. I'm not sure who it's, who, who it's for. And he starts sharing some things. And I, like, couldn't breathe because, like, I felt the, like the Holy Spirit just coming upon me. And I just, I could not breathe. I felt like I couldn't breathe. And I knew that it was for me, right? It's many different ways. And it takes some practice and some learning. And if you're like, I'm not sure if this was the Lord or not, I, I, I feel like I keep thinking this one thought every time I'm praying. Do you think that's from God? Ask a friend, somebody who knows scriptures really well. And they'll go, you know, that's actually something that God says a lot in the Bible. So let's go look at one of the times where he, he says things along those lines. 
right? So it's a way of God speaking to your life. But to, ju- to just look at the Bible as a, as a textbook and, and think that God's not going to share with you specific things about your life is to miss out on a huge part of what the Bible does for us. It's living and active. The Bible says that a lot. You know, it cuts between joint and marrow, between soul and spirit. Like, it will strike you to the heart and change you. And of course, saying, God told me this sounds crazy and foolish, doesn't it? Like, when you say to somebody, hey, so God told me this, they're going to be like, God told you, right? Now, I think we should be careful in our wording. You know, especially, I've, I've seen, okay, uh, Melissa and I were dating, and a guy told Melissa that God told him that they were supposed to be together. He was dead wrong, <laughs> all right? <laughs> and I told Melissa, he's dead wrong. <laughs> when Melissa and I were dating, all these guys kept trying to steal her from me. It was terrible. She's like, it wasn't that many. It was like four guys like expressed their love for her while we were dating. I'm like, what? Stop it! <laughs> Just stop that. God already told me. <laughs> I never said that to Melissa, but you know, okay. The funny story: Melissa and I just uh, celebrated our seven-year anniversary. Right? We met at Bible college, and uh, the way we met. So again, God speaking. Okay. Uh, we took it with a lot of caution and spent a lot of time in prayer on our own to hear the voice of God about us getting married. But the first day of class in my teaching methods class, the teacher said, hey, Stephen, at the beginning of class, he's doing roll call, and he reads my name, and he says, Stephen, huh, I've got this other girl in my class this morning named Melissa. Do you, have you guys met? And I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, we've been hanging out the last two days. We just met like three days ago, because they have like three days where you get to school, but you don't start classes yet. When Melissa and I met that first day, and we're hanging out. And uh, he's like, hmm, let's talk after. <laughs> Makes me wait three hours, right? <laughs> uh, and then he afterwards says, yeah, I just I feel like the Lord's telling you you should pursue that. <laughs> and then he saw us hanging out, and he would every time he would go, this is good. This is of God. <laughs> Came to find out, I talked to some other people about him, and uh, that teacher there, he was actually, he was one of the main dudes, too. He, he wasn't the dean of many, it was another position, but he kind of ran the whole thing. Uh, he's been there for 20-some years, and he has set couple up after couple up after couple up after couple up. And he, he does it. He hears God say certain names should go together. And they over and over again, these people get married. <laughs> At bridal college, right? Not Bible college, bridal college. Yeah, people are like, you just went there for a wife. And I'm like, Guilty. <laughs> no, I didn't, but I did get one. It was like a bonus. I got the Bible and, and Melissa. I'm happy, I like, I'm, you know, pretty happy with both. <laughs> I should just stop. I'm running, I don't know. None of this was prepared, geez. Okay, more questions on that. I know it's a tricky thing, but I would love to see our church hearing the voice of God more. Don't you want that? I want that for you guys. I, I genuinely want you to know confidently that God is speaking to you every day. And it, part of that is as a community, we're confirming things in each other's lives. We're encouraging each other. If you read a verse and somebody comes to your mind, test it. Maybe that wasn't on accident. Maybe that wasn't just your brain. Maybe that was God saying, you need to share this verse with this person. Test it. See what they say. See how it goes. I would encourage you. Any other questions, thoughts? Jay?
hundred years, yeah. Especially like the life of Noah. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're in a new season of abundant life. An interesting thing. So at the first Pentecost, God's presence came down upon the mount, and 3,000 people died. That's the first Pentecost, right? In in Exodus, 3,000 people died. At Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2 and 3 there, uh, God's presence comes down again after the crucifixion of Christ. How many people do you think were saved? What does it say? 3,000. Right? It's a clear picture of a new season. The law brought death. At the first Pentecost, God's presence came. They received the law that brought death. It brought uh, the penalty for sin, the revealing of what our sin truly is, how bad it truly is. It brought death. But Jesus fulfilled the law. He took that death ultimately. And now he brings abundant life. And the spirit of God dwells in us and is upon us and he's with us all the time. So it's, there. I, if if you are feeling like God is silent towards you, um, it's because you're not listening or you're not willing to listen. It's not because he's not speaking. God is always speaking. Yeah. All right. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Pray and fasting. In the New Testament, they do it over and again. Pray and fasting, pray and fasting. And they were able to hear the voice of God because of that. I think sometimes there's sin in our life and we don't want to repent of it, so we don't actually want to listen to God because we're scared the thing he's going to tell you is to repent. Or sometimes God's already told you something and you weren't willing to do it. And every time you go in prayer, he just tells you the same thing. (laughs) That's another big one I've noticed. John? Yeah.
Yeah, that's good. I think sometimes we don't want to hear what God has to say, if I'm, if I'm being blunt. Because um, you're scared what God's going to tell you to do is not what you want to do. So you just don't want to listen. Everybody, anybody been there? <laughs> like, I've been there, right? Like, I don't want to pray, and I don't want to hear, and I don't want to read my Bible because I want to do what I want to do. And then we can have the audacity to say, well, I just, God's not speaking to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like I, uh, okay, if, just being real, right? Um, I'm going to read one last passage. We're going to, and then we'll go into, uh, I'm going to read two passages here. Psalms 100. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us. And not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and, in, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. We're going to be taking of uh, communion today. And I want you to meditate just on if one of those phrases stuck out to you in that psalm. Whichever one it was. During the time when you're taking the cup and you're, you're, you're praying, just meditate on that. If one of those passages in Psalms 100 stuck out to you, or maybe if it was something else in this message today, ask the Lord, why did that stick out to me? What are you trying to teach me right now? Listen to his voice. In Matthew 26, it says, uh, Jesus, the night before he died, he gave them uh, the bread and the cup. And he said, for this is my blood of the new... Um, I'm sorry. And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks, and he gave it to him and saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the ransom of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the wine until that day when I drink it in the, with you in the new kingdom. So, Jesus here, he instates the practice of communion where we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. That he is the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. Jesus laid his life down for you specifically. He wants you specifically and individually to hear his voice, to recognize it, to have a relationship with him. So if anything stuck out to you, I believe it's God trying to speak to you. This is his word. So meditate on whatever it was. Whatever comes to mind during the sermon, meditate on it. Listen to his voice. You can take the bread and the cup, go back to your seat, and partake of it at your own timing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all that you're, you're doing in our lives. God, thank you so much for laying your life down for us, for me, God. You love us so much. Lord, it is foolish that the God of the universe would lay his life down for me. But I pray that we would realize the significance of what you've done and just how undeserving we are. And yet you love us so, so much. Your mercies are, are always new. Your grace is always there. You want us to come into your presence with 
shouts of joy with thanksgiving, all because of what you have done, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.